1: on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world.
2: Welcome
0: to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And hey, I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Tonight on the world's only rock and roll talk show... Jim, we are inundated with major new album releases this month. Uh, For whatever reason, the spigots have turned on. It was kind of a slow (laughs) January, February, March. But April, uh, the floodgates have opened and a bunch of big releases have come out. The blossoming of the flowers.
2: (laughs) It's the spring releases. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: These are definitely records I would have to say that we were both looking forward to in some way. Records that we anticipated being good, hope would be good. Well, we I hope every Not record, necessarily is the case. We hope every <laughs> album we play is going to be good.
2: No, I think you can use a uh, kind of movie industry cliche. This was the anticipated blockbusters of the year, the most anticipated albums of the year. But we cover them. We listen to this stuff on Sound Opinion so you don't have to, or perhaps so you may want to. Run out and download or buy these. We're going to talk about the new releases tonight from Pink. Ghostface Killa, the uh, veteran of the Wu-Tang Clan. We've got Fiery Furnaces, the yeah yeah yes, some indie rock there. Morrissey, the King of Mope. Got to love a new Morrissey record. 2 years only since the last one. Yeah. This is a guy who usually works at the pace of a stone cutter, <laughs> and we're going to open with one from a band that used to be from Texas is now based in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs>
1: I never thought a moment spoke so well as the second when you tried to be kind. Stumbling over the telephone, ringing, looking for your voice in the line. There was an orange lipped girl with a niece crying. Cause a car parked right across the
2: road That's a track called I Hate Pretending. From the second album by The Secret Machines. It's called Ten Silver Drops. Greg, these guys tie in nicely to two things we were talking about last week. One is, I think you and I first discovered them at South by Southwest in 2004. Correct, It was uh, shortly before the release of their first album, Now Here is Nowhere, although they'd done some independent recordings before that. Uh, Trio, two brothers, Brandon Curtis kind of moves between bass and keyboards. His brother, the leader of the band, vocalist and guitarist, Ben Curtis, and a monstrous drummer that heaviest hitter since Dave Grohl of Nirvana, uh, Josh Garza moved from Texas to Brooklyn, got a lot of hype by kind of floating the tracks on the net another one of these kind of internet generated buzz bands that gave away their album for free for quite some time before they were picked up by Reprise Records, Warner Brothers label, now along comes album number two Ten Silver Drops, let's play a track and we're going to come back and we'll give our review this is Faded Lines by The Secret Machines from Ten Silver Drops
0: Faded Lines from Secret Machines, their second album, Ten Silver Drops. Jim, you and I were big fans of the uh, 2004 debut, Now Here is Nowhere. What a great title. I love that title. Now Here is Nowhere. (laughs) And it really kind of summed up the sound of that record. These cyclone guitars, heavy drumming, it took you to outer space. Beneath all that noise were some amazing melodies, but it wasn't readily apparent. You had to sort of, you know, let that record wash over you and absorb it, and eventually you heard those tunes underneath The Maelstrom. The thing I hear on 10 Silver Drops is those melodies that were sort of lurking Mm -hmm. beneath the tumult up top are more to the surface here. And you've got a sense of, man, these guys are good songwriters. It's yeah. not just about a sound. You know, the sound, the sonics, can give you a well, one-album career. But meanwhile, the songs are what sustain a career. And these guys have got some great songs on Ten Silver Drops. I think that's readily apparent. The little details, that uh, guitar riff we just heard in that song, mm-hmm. you know, just keeps recurring. And it, suddenly it's stuck in your head, and it's there for the next month. Keeps can't you can't get back. it out of there. Yeah. And they've got these little melodic hooks. The backing chorus, these guys can sing. Yeah, The, the harmonies on this record are terrific. So you've got a sense of these guys as songwriters on Ten Silver Drops and I think it's a you know, I thought Now Here Is Nowhere, an impressive debut. I actually think this is a step up for these guys, an even better album, one of those albums that I can't get enough of. I keep listening to this record over and over again. And I say, wow, I hear something new in this mix e- every time I listen to it. And it's interesting. These guys are terrific producers as well. Yeah, because they recorded this and produced it themselves. Produced it themselves, so it's not just like case... the de- debut. And I wanted right. to make one point, one more point here because they turned down Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin <laughs> loved these guys, wanted to produce their debut record. They said, no— I think we can do a better job ourselves. I mean, for, they turned for, down the producer of the Wall. Thank you very by much, by Pink Floyd. By Pink Floyd,
2: who is a band obviously that they worship. Ezrin's a serious dude. Produced Alice Cooper, produced Lou Reed, but probably for their purposes, the the best thing that they would want to work with him for is having produced the Wall. Yeah, I, I'm surprised, and I certainly hope we don't agree on everything today. But I love this album. Uh, Jason Saldana, our man, was also a big fan of the first album. Uh, our associate producer, and he he doesn't like this album. I, I think we got to slap him upside the head because he's losing <laughs> losing his ear. Usually, we can. Count on him (laughs) I think it's an improvement on the first album they're going somewhere different they've crafted this great sound and now we can see just how far they take it Uh, in that great Texas tradition a lot of the best psychedelia comes from Nowhere, <laughs> hence the mm-hmm. title of that first album. You know, they, they've now moved up from the world to Brooklyn, but uh, there's something weird in the water in Texas, because there was that <laughs> yeah. huge psychedelic scene in a Dallas suburb called Denton, and they kind of uh, had their roots there, and now they're, I don't know, I don't see any limits for them. I, I'll tell you, it's a hell of a lot better. All you Pink Floyd fans out there who are disappointed by the David Gilmore solo album, yeah, buy this. Yes, buy absolutely. Buy this on the patented Sound Opinions rating scale, which we're going to abuse mightily tonight, of Buy It, Burn It, Trash It. Definitely a buy-it record from Jim.
0: Yeah, double buy-it here, Jim, for me as well. Can't go wrong. Secret Machines, 10 Silver Drops.
1: At last I am born, historians know, I am finally born. withdrawn, but now I just sit back and yawn because I am born, born,
0: born, At last I am born, declares uh, Stephen Patrick Morrissey, as his mother knows him. Everybody else knows him as simply Morrissey. Or those of us who love him, just <laughs> <Yeah>. as Moz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. About to be 47, he's been with us for some time. Hard to believe, he is one of the most revered men in uh, UK music for the last 25 years, primarily because he was part of a band that uh, really stood British pop music on its head in the 80s, the Smiths, a band he formed with Johnny Marr, the great guitar player had a very short run, dominated the British pop charts, broke up in acrimony. Morrissey has since gone on to make more solo records than he has actual Smiths albums, and has never quite equaled the success he had with the Smiths as a solo artist. Uh, Although in, that will get you, that will get tambourines thrown at you at the next <laughs> Morrissey concert. Exactly. you dare not question the Morrissey faithful. They are a devoted lot. We have a cult following here for this artist that borders on the maniacal. It's really a phenomenon that is carried on for three decades now and you know he, he continues to make music although as you had alluded to earlier jim there was a seven-year gap between albums basically he had sort of run out of favor couldn't mm-hmm. get a record deal then came back with you are the quarry in 2004 his best received solo album to date suddenly morrissey mattered again i think bands like the killers for example who have sold millions of records in in the united states oh quite a bit to the legacy of Morrissey and the Smiths, this sort of very droll, very melodic pop music. In other other words, there's a little bit of a wit and and a darkness around the edges of these kind of great grand pop tunes. Yeah, and uh, theatrical
2: flair and and kind of all taking off of that glam rock movement of the mid-'70s with David Bowie and T-Rex, whose producer... Tony
0: Visconti is working with Morrissey here as he recorded in Rome on this record. Visconti is the key to this record in a lot of ways. Sonically, he is really the blueprint for a lot of what the Smiths and Morrissey have done. He loved those records. He absorbed them. He wanted to be those artists yeah. and, and, and really made his own thing not, out of not it. Not
2: to mention those artists' penchant for dressing in women's clothing and wearing <laughs> makeup,
0: which was also a big influence on young Stephen. Yes, the flamboyance of Morrissey oft compared to his hero, Oscar Wilde. The dark, droll humor, Uh, life is a pigsty, as one of the songs on this record (laughs) says, but somehow I am going to rise above it, I don't know how. The twist on the new record, Ringleader of the Tormentors, produced by Tony Visconti, is that Morrissey, as that song indicated, has been reborn. He has discovered sexuality, his own sexuality. This is a man who for years, for decades has declared himself a celibate, yeah. uh, been very dodgy about his sexual orientation. Um, well, I think it was more obvious than dodgy. Well, sure. Even, but he just didn't want to he go would ne- there. But he would never admit it. He yeah. would never come out and say it. And on this record, he is very upfront. He is having a wild... Sexual time of it Pardon in the Rome. Pun, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And well, and, he's living in, in Los Angeles,
2: and he's recording in Rome.
0: Yeah, he's singing about it. Indeed, I've got explosive kegs between my legs. Yeah, he, he, yeah. And that's what you're going to hear on this song. Dear God, please help me. Uh, and again, the the, the classic morrissey torment even in his time of great joy he's still tormented guilt ridden about it god please help me i don't know what i'm getting myself into here i am a forty six forty seven year old man having this sexual tryst mm-hmm. on the streets of rome it is the most liberating thing i've ever done but please god help me i don't know where to go next uh... nonetheless the mood is buoyant and it's a, uh, a rejuvenated morrissey really totally unexpected move in terms of his personal life his cult is reeling from the news that Morrissey has found sexuality and uh, is having a great time with life for the first time maybe ever. Well, you know, <laughs> t- t- to an extent. I mean, the man <laughs> also recorded Life as a Pigsty. You're, you're
2: getting into your review. I want to give you my thoughts. Let's hear the track first. Dear God, Please Help Me is a song we're going to play. It's Morrissey's most over-the-top expression of his newfound sexual joy from the album Ringleader of the Tormentors.
1: I am through Rome with my heart on a string Dear God please help me There are
2: Yes, Stephen Patrick Marcy. dear God, please help me from Ringleader of the Tormentors. Greg, I saw Marcy speak at uh, South by Southwest in one of those one-on-one interview panels, and he was, you know, in peak form, as full of vim and vinegar as ever, railing at the Bush administration, railing at man's inhumanity to man and beast, you know, because he still mm-hmm. is an ardent vegetarian, and just kind of tackling hypocrisy in general. I started to spin Ringleader of the Tormentors, and I was wondering— You know, hey, where is that guy? Where is that fire that I saw when he was speaking in Texas? I was kind of wrestling with this album, and I was talking to my my editor, Tom Connor, who is a big Marcy fan. He said, well, you know, the problem is he's had sex. You know, like the boxer who doesn't sleep with his mate before he goes into the (laughs) ring. I mean, I think there's sort of a reason. And it's not the lyrics because, as always, Marcy is a very just viciously sharp writer and he's still tossing these verbal hand grenades there's some priceless ones but it's musically soggy he has been trying to replicate the sound of the smiths pretty much throughout his entire solo career and he comes closer at some points than others you would think that visconti would have got him there but it doesn't really work here it just sounds sort of generic and and even bigger problem is the big orchestrated over-the-top operetta kind of songs. There's a seven and a half minute track that is scored by the incredible Italian composer Ennio Morricone, who did all those great spaghetti westerns for Clint Eastwood. The guy's a genius, but boy, is that a soggy horrible ballad to listen to. Uh, There's a children's choir. I don't Know if I want Marcy in the same room as a bunch of young <laughs> prepubescent Italian boys, especially when they're singing. There is no such thing in life as normal. And I just, you know, there's some good moments, but the guy's happy, which is a bad thing for him. I mean, I God bless him as a person, but as a musician,
0: Maz, we always loved you when you were most miserable. I completely disagree with you on everything you just said. <laughs> uh,. Mainly because I think lyrically it's his soggiest album. I, really? I think musically, it's rather interesting. I think that the Visconti production and the Marcone production, as over the top as it is, is successful in sort of pushing him into some new areas musically. Have you got a
2: secret Broadway show tune song I that I've never known be. about? I
0: think, I think in some ways Morrissey has always yearned to be there and, and sort of do it in a subversive way. Yeah. And I think in some ways he's doing it on this record. I've long given up on him sort of trying to imitate the Smiths and that guitar-driven Johnny Marr sound he can't get there and I think he realizes that I like the children's choir I like the, the fact that the children's choir is singing you know yeah. you know, we're not normal <laughs> you know that that's his manifesto it's kind of subversive having these kids singing Morrissey's manifesto for him I like that part of the record what I don't like is that I think Morrissey has lost his edge as a guy who could make me laugh out loud hmm. at just how miserable he could be and still have fun with it I'm
2: sorry Greg but it's a burn it record for yeah, me at best and I'd be I'd be on the, the fence Saying
0: trash it, except I really don't want to be pelted with daisies. You Musically, know, when I go to see Morrissey. Musically, I love the record. I think it's a, an interesting twist on his career but lyrically I think it's a letdown so for that reason I say burn it I think we're coming to the same conclusion but for a very very different reasons
2: we are doing one of our favorite kinds of shows here on Sound Opinions although we've never been able to come up with a decent name for it have we Greg we just go with record reviews of Palooza
0: <laughs> and I mean <laughs> lots of records that we're reviewing this uh, week, you know
2: if you have a better name for these periodic record review shows feel free to contact us at soundopinions.com go to our website we- we'd love to hear your thoughts on these records we'd love to come up with a better name for this show you can <laughs> tell us you hate us or love us, whatever you want to do. When we come back, we're gonna hear some independent music, yeah yeah yes and fiery furnaces and later on in the show the newest from Pink and Ghostface Killer on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio.
3: Hot, cold, season,
0: Welcome back to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. I'm Greg Codd of the Chicago Tribune. My partner is Jim Dirigatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. You're listening to a little bit of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, their second album, a song called Gold Lion, perhaps the most anticipated record of the last couple of months out of that very fertile New York garage scene Jim what do we uh...
2: yeah well New York garage or or another way to put it is that whole new wave of new wave explosion bands like The Strokes obviously they were the big breakthrough band but also Clap Your Hands Say Yeah and The Rapture and Interpol Um, you really think it was anticipated I I think people have uh, lost interest in the yeah yeah yes they debuted with two killer EPs and a 2003 album Fever to Tell that made them that year's version of the future of rock hype of the moment (laughs) what people are saying now about Arctic Monkeys or that band Wolf Mother and then it's been a while it's been a while between records you know I was dubious initially of the yeah yeah yes although they won me over just because the New York press was almost imitating the English press in you know this is the future this is everything this is as good as it gets and I think that they really all were just uh, sexually fascinated with the front (laughs) woman Karen Oh, she's this long tall drink of water who bends and contorts in amazingly seemingly impossible ways while kind of channeling some uh, new uh, millennial mixture of Susie Sue, Patti Smith and PJ Harvey, taking her voice from a scream to a whisper in the space of one line. What is she singing about? I have no idea. It's all this kind of impressionistic word paintings of odd phenomena around her. While behind her, guitar wizard Nick Zinner just does these amazing clouds of noise, very much influenced once again by that early 90s English shoegazer movement. have a good drummer too, Brian Chase. Uh, It's been a while. I didn't know if they would be able to top that incredible over-the-top buzz and hype from 2003. And now comes their second full proper album Show Your Bones let's hear a track from this and then we'll give our opinions on it we're gonna play Cheated Hearts from uh, the second album by the Yeah Yeah Yes on Sound Opinions
0: Cheated Hearts from the Yeah Yeah Yeahs their second album Jim yeah I was anticipating this record because um, having seen the band live after its debut album which I was initially somewhat lukewarm on like you A little bit put off by the hype. They really won me over, though, with that song Maps from the first record. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was a a wonderful left turn on that record amid all this sort of garagey noise rock on that record, which I liked, I thought was a really distinctive pop moment in Maps. And I think they're trying to build off that moment on this record. They've hired a hip-hop-based producer named Squeaky Clean to uh, (laughs) produce the record, and clearly in an attempt to sort of bridge garage rock with more of a pop feel. I think they pull it off really well in the first half of this record. And that song we just heard, Cheated Hearts, I think is kind of an example of what they're going for. And they do it well. Unfortunately, this doesn't hold up as a beginning-to-end album for me. Uh, Hmm. The songs peter out at the end, and they kind of lose steam about halfway through the record. The songs aren't there. Zinner's a great guitar player. She's a terrific presence as a vocalist. Brian Chase is still a pretty darn good drummer. But the songwriting chops just don't seem to be there.
2: Well, I couldn't disagree with you more. I, I think it's a great album. I think it's uh, much like the White Stripes with Get Behind Me, Satan, where they branched out into all sorts of directions we never thought they could go. There's some uh, great textural help on a lot of these songs from the Beastie Boys' longtime keyboard genius, Money Mark. It just adds some great stuff. They're going into blues at some point. They're going into the freaky folk rock, w- w- what the New Yorkers are calling the freak folk scene, and what they did best on the first album, they're doing again and just as well. Um I don't know. It keeps sucking me through all the way. I don't know what you're talking I about. The finish I think you was would just pretty have a, a short attention span or something. I uh,
0: don't know. You know. I'll prove you wrong with my, with my review of this next album that we're going to be talking about. But I think those last few songs are pretty anticlimactic. I think the pop and rock combo works really well early on. But I was surprised at how low-key and kind of drab the finishing songs on this record were. I was right, expecting I, a big finishing kick and they just didn't pull it I off. I disagree.
2: It takes me, takes me from start to finish with a big smile on my face. The only thing that stopped me from giving it four stars when I reviewed it in the Sun-Times was, you know, I mean, they really have no lyrical substance. You know, she's just no. moaning and wailing and that's fine. I mean, that's good. But, you know, God, if she was actually singing about something, <laughs> uh, how powerful and emotionally
0: resonant could it be? For me, it is definitely a buy-it record. Sounds like a, it's a burn-it record for you? Yeah, it's a burn-it record for me. There's some good songs. We've played a couple of them already on the show. Uh, there's a couple more on the record like it, but as I said, beginning to end, not a full, great album. A burn-it record for Before me. Before
2: we move on, let's take half a second to explain the patented, copyrighted, trademarked, sound opinions rating scale. When we say buy-it, obviously we're both enthusiastically telling you to put your money where our mouths are. You know, this is worth owning. When we say uh, burn-it, we're not necessarily endorsing illegal downloading, but we believe you should have the right to sample
0: it. Absolutely. You know, to burn it, to think about it before you invest your cash money. Be selective about it. Find somebody who has the record. I don't know how you're yeah. going to do that, but listen to a few tracks. Go to the library you. It and may check it out. Yeah. It's a cautionary. We're throwing up the yellow flag yeah, 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 yeah. as in Indy 500 proceeds Proceed parlors. slowly. Yes, exactly. And trash
2: it, I think, is fairly self-explanatory. <laughs> exactly. Don't bother. <laughs>
0: That's the Fiery Furnaces, I'm in No Mood, from the new record, Bitter Tea, coming out on the Fat Possum label, Mississippi-based blues label that is putting out some adventurous stuff, including this record by the Fiery Furnaces, their fourth full studio album since 2003. They are a Brooklyn-based duo, Matthew and Eleanor Friedberger, brother-sister combo, born in Oak Park, Illinois. And we have this combination, Matthew and Eleanor Friedberger have been making these quirky studio records. Four full-length albums, a full-length EP in a very short period of time since 2003. Very dense, colorful, wordy. Albums that sort of shift mood like Saturday morning cartoon soundtracks. Uh, They don't stay in one place very long. Uh, They're modeling them after concept works that uh, influence them, like The Who's, A Quick One While He's Away, The Pretty Things, S.F. Sorrow, Johnny Cash's John Henry's Hammer any number of the beat poet dreamscapes of Bob Dylan. It's kind of an interesting area to be exploring. Not exactly a commercially ripe territory, but it's made for some really fascinating albums. And and they play them out on stage, taking their music into 20-minute chunks and fitting it all together and, and turning these stage shows into, like, mini operas. Bitter Tea is equally ambitious in that regard. Before we get to our reviews, let's play a track off it, one of the more accessible pop tracks on the record. It's called... Benton Harbor Blues. Eleanor Friedberger on the vocals, Matthew, her brother, the primary lyricist and music maker on this record. It's from the Fiery Furnace's Bitter Tea on Sound Opinions.
2: the fiery furnaces benton harbor blues so named because they recorded the album in benton harbor michigan it's their fifth record if we count that one in between ep in three years and if you ask me that's way too many albums (laughs) from these folks I uh, would say I don't understand your fascination with the Fiery Furnaces, except that I do, because they were on uh, the previous incarnation of the show. And, you know, just uh, flat out, Cot, you got a crush on Eleanor Friedberger. You know, <laughs> but she's taken. She's dating the guy from Franz Ferdinand. I'm sorry. She's got an interesting voice. Matthew Friedberger obviously has talent as a musician because he's all over the map. When you compared it to Saturday morning cartoon soundtracks, I think you're thinking about Carl Stalling or Raymond Scott, the right. incredibly eclectic composers of those great Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons. However, I think it's much more like the generic Japanese version of that that you get in this bad animation today. Pointlessly eclectic, jumping from one thing to another. They're aiming for Tom Waits and and they're getting nowhere near that. This album bugs the hell out of me. It's so pretentious. It just collapses under its own pretensions. You're right, Greg. They make these big concept records. The last one, Rehearsing My Choir, was a narrative song cycle based on the memoirs of their grandmother. This one, according to Matt Friedberger. I made the mistake of reading the press release. I don't usually do that. He says, Bitter Tea is a very girly record, the granddaughter record, as opposed to the grandmother record, which would make it, uh, I guess, life story of his sister, Eleanor Friedberger. He also describes it in that press release as, Sissy, psychedelic, Satanism. I have a much simpler description, and it would be, Crap, I can't make it through this record. And it's about 18 hours long. There's like 15 tracks. It never ends. It just gives me a throbbing headache. This is a double trash It. I really dislike this record. All due respect to your fascination with Ms. Friedberger. But, man, I ain't going
0: well, there. Well, see, Jim, you are falling prey to this uh, MP3, give it to me and give it to me fast generation. Well, I got uh, a CD your got attention span. CD, you have an attention right span of an ant when it comes to this band. Oh, that's not true. And they really deserve better. You cannot listen to the Fiery Furnaces in small chunks. In fact, it does them a disservice to play individual songs from this record. you really got to listen to the whole thing. And I admit, not many people are up for it. It's, it's something that a lot of people don't want to spend 60 minutes of their day listening to a record beginning to end. But in fact, that's how this record grew on me. Some people may say it grew on me like a fungus, but that's neither here nor there. I love this record after initially being somewhat taken aback by it, not you know thinking it was just a big jumble of, uh, as you said, confusion. It really does start to make sense once you listen to it. Eleanor is telling this story from a woman's perspective, which is unique because, you know, Matthew is, is in fact, the, the primary lyricist here. He's writing songs for her to sing. She does a terrific job of, in the midst of all this chaos around her, of maintaining her composure, singing these lyrics very clearly, and, and telling a story. And if you follow the story along, it's quite moving and powerful. What um, is the story? It's a story about a young woman's life and essentially a love affair coming to an end. Uh, not, yeah. Nothing more complicated than that. Because that's never
2: been done in the history of popular no, but music. It,
0: they're doing it in a way that, to me, pulls me in, made, made me <laughs> want to listen to it again and again. Uh, Unfortunately, it.
2: it has all that music there. You know, I'd rather read the liner notes than have to listen
0: to this. She, to me, is one of the unique voices in, in, uh, in pop music You've got a today. crush on her. You know She gets you You you, you like it I have a crush on her Because she reminds me a lot Of the She has a a lot of the stage presence Of Patti Smith uh-huh. as a singer. You take her over Karen O. I'm happily married, my man. I don't yeah, know where know, your head's I know. at, I'm but I'm, you know, I'm having a good time uh, listening uh, to her as a musician. Uh, like I think Jimmy she, Carter. You're lifting in your heart,
2: not in, in actuality. but so, She's uh, a terrific singer. A cage match. Saying. Cage match. Karen O, the yeah, yeah, yeahs versus Eleanor Friedberger of Fiery Furnaces.
0: Well, Karen O... Uh, Karen wiped I, the floor with her. I've been close enough where she's her spilled little beer Oak on Park. herself and me.
2: Her, Everybody her else had had on. pretentious, you know university, I'm a I'm a sophomore poet. They're both, kind of.
0: they're both really uh, terrific personalities. I, I like them both, but I think Eleanor has made <laughs> Eleanor Friedberger has done a great job on this record. This is really You're, her album, and, and I think she's really she really owns it.
2: You are welcome to this record, because I don't want anything to do with it, and uh, we'll float it out on the blueberry boat, and the gallows bird can, can, can crap on it. God, what pretension.
0: Those are the titles of the other albums. You know, God. art punk has never sounded more playful than in the hands of these guys. They make it fun. This is a Playful record, you have to is enjoy it is? on that level. Think I'm of a play, you know, gonna... an operetta like a uh, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. Think of it that in those terms, as opposed to <laughs> your revered you, rock. No, it's not. It's not rocking like Secret
2: f- theater f- Backgrounds coming out here. You know, this is the second you time to you're going your to... Horizons, you're Jim, going to guys, you broaden your horizons, Jim You are again, so narrowly this, the focused. The Morrissey can, 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 can remake Rocky Horror Picture Show. You're fine with it. This is this is Gilbert and Sullivan. I, I like rock and roll. What do you listen to? Well, I, I listen to music. I need to go take Chris <laughs> Jones' job and go review Spelling Bee. And, the show's you know.
0: about pop culture. Broaden your horizons yeah, here, Jim. Yeah, this is what yeah, we're yeah. here
2: for. It's about good pop culture. <laughs> when I tell people to put their dollars, it's a well, trash it for me. You're telling people to buy this I, I say
0: buy it and give it some time and listen to it. Oh, okay. and, uh, and listen to the whole thing. Don't yeah. just listen to bits and pieces of it and get turned off like Jim did. You can reach Greg Cott
2: through the <laughs> Chicago Tribune switchboard, 312-222-something, and, uh, and you can demand your money back if you dislike it. When we come back after this break, we are going to hear the latest from Ghostface Killa, veteran of the Wu-Tang Clan, and Pink, the teen pop phenomenon who's trying to uh, age gracefully where you know her competition certainly isn't. Not Christina Aguilera, not Britney Spears. Can Pink pull it off? We'll find out on Sound Opinions.
1: One two, one two. Chill Turn, it up. The Turn it up. Yo, you hear me? Yeah. What up, Tony? right. Uh-huh. You yeah, oh, so, The will the other. The in the we the We got females that got it like that. The golden that own the crowd. See niggas in the place that beat my style. Well, singer, dancer, we Who Tang got the answer. Cause if I had a chance. ''ll be to the
2: Welcome back to sound opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis of The Sun Times. My partner is the theater- loving Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune, <laughs> and that's uh, Ghostface Killer jamming with his old Wu Tang. Clan mates on a track called Nine Milla from uh, Fish Scale is his
0: new album. Mr. Cott, tell us about it. It's the fifth solo record from uh, Ghostface Killa. As you mentioned, Jim, he was part of that infamous nine-member hip-hop group, the Wu-Tang Clan, who came on the scene in 1993 with a record called Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, a uh, groundbreaking piece of work in hip-hop. Not much for up-tempo tracks, not much for pop hooks, No concessions to R&B choruses, just straight-up, dense wordplay. Amazing MCs in this group, uh, of which Ghostface was one of several really fine wordsmiths. Method Man, Requan, Don't forget Old Dirty Bastard. Old Dirty Bastard, (laughs) uh, ODB, and a mind-blowing producer, The RZA, RZA, who uh, created his own vocabulary as a hip-hop producer, still influential to this day. Much of it based on films, just that fascination with kung fu Kung movies. fu. Yeah. Man, they, they loved that stuff. Uh, they would intersperse kung fu dialogue and, and the atmosphere of those movies. They created this eerie interior world. And Ghostface, I think, was primary purveyor in that whole mode of hip-hop in that he was able to create these incredibly dense, complicated lyrical scenarios the last couple of records he really went out into the abstract zone with fish scale his fifth record at the age of 34 he is going back to his roots as a storyteller i hear this record in the tradition of the novels of iceberg slim and the exploitation tales of gordon parks who wrote the script for shaft mm-hmm. or curtis mayfield who wrote the soundtrack for superfly He is talking about the mean streets of his hometown, New York City. And here he gets right down to it. Fish Scale is ghetto slang for uncut cocaine. And you think, oh boy, more of the same gangster hip hop. Well, no, that's not the case at all. Great stories with a very gritty subtext. And here's one of them it's Kilo from the new Ghostface record, Fish Scale on Sound Opinions.
1: Hey, yo, hey, yo, Sheree, go to store Whoever got the kilos got the candy, man. I need man. some the raisins in a fresh tongue box of baggies. The ones with the ten You never catch the kid going handy, yeah, hand. Yo, son, turn time that time water down a little today. bit. slow bit. Once Thank you got you. the funds, you got the panties, man. I need two man. orders. A Dutch a cranberry snapper. Throughout I-95, I'm the handyman. Bricks, short caps, powder, cooked up crack. Phones is tapped over Franklin stacks. Kingpin's putting pins. Put in Old connects get paroled. Break out of town when the jakes take down the Faro. Reason he was moving that Peruvian white. Blowing coolies in the hoody, slamming cuties in ice. Big heavy pots over hot stoves. Mayonnaise jars and water with rocks in them. Got my whole project out of order. Kilo is a thousand grams. Beige, gold, brown. Dirty, fluffy, tin, extract oil, you come from Cuban plants. The chemists, brolic, pyrex, scholars, professors at war, overall, killing partners for a million dollars. Whoever got the kilos got the candy, man. A kilo is 1,000 easy to remember. You never catch the kid going hand in hand. All around the world today, the
3: kilo is the measure.
1: Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. The
3: kilo is 1, grams.
1: Yeah. easy to remember. That's
2: Kilo from Ghostface Killer. Fish Scale, his fifth solo album. Greg, I, I, I always get vilified when I say this, but I have said numerous times on Sound Opinions and in my newspaper columns that gangster rap is played. It's not a moral objection. It's like, yeah, 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 I know. Songs about conniving women and drug deals on the streets and violence. Uh, it's just it's been done. It's boring. You know, we've had enough songs about people shooting each other and drug deals gone bad and, and uh, bitches and hoes trying to take my money and However, <laughs> you know, there is always a way to approach a genre and breathe fresh life into it. You said the phrase mean streets before. Martin Scorsese could probably make a dozen more mafia movies or The Sopranos happens, for example. And suddenly this genre that you think is tired and played out and we've seen it all and done it all and I don't ever want to see another mob movie. Well, I still watch The Sopranos week after week. And mm-hmm. it's not just to see The Mean Streets where I grew up. You know, you, you, you dropped a bunch of names like Iceberg Slim. I'll add another one. Jim Thompson, Ghostface writes about these deals with a level of detail and and an eye for that little twist and turn that uh, is kind of unparalleled. When he's talking about cooking up crack cocaine, he's he's describing the mayonnaise jars that are part of his his, mm-hmm. his homemade chemistry lab. And uh, when he's talking about a drug deal on the streets, he's talking about using a grandmother, a senior citizen, as as a lookout because the cops don't ever suspect her. And that's just great, you know, literary detail. When you pair that with the fact that he's got a veritable who's who of underground hip-hop producers, Pete Rock, Just Blaze, MF Doom, Mad Lib, and the late Jay Dilla, who was uh, you know a friend and roommate of Common, you know somebody who doesn't usually work in this genre. This is about as good as gangster rap gets. That having been said, this is like, you know, when Clint Eastwood made Unforgiven a few years ago. You know, yeah, okay, that's as good as a Western gets, but I don't really ever need to see another Western, unless it involves maybe gay cowboys, but I didn't <laughs> see that one either. I just feel like I've, I've heard enough gangster rap to last me 10 lifetimes. That having been said, this is a good example of it. For me, that makes it a, a burn it record. I, I know that people who who love this stuff consider this record a great one, and, and they'd say buy it, but uh, I don't know.
0: You know, I, I've got to go buy it all the way on this one. I was dubious as well. Uh, how much more, you know, juice can you get out of this? As you said, I agree. Tired subject matter. He revivifies it though with his approach as a lyricist. Also, he takes it some down some really fascinating tangents I mean that song where he talks about the beatings his mom used to administer to him as a kid whip you with a strap bitter rather than sweet reminiscences of his childhood also this kind of surreal tangent that he goes on in the song underwater you know this old time Bobby Humphrey flute sample the gurgling water works uh, as a sort of a sound texture in that song I mean Jim you as a connoisseur of the psychedelic could immerse yourself in the song underwater and find entire worlds opened up
1: I drowning took control when I arrived the door no oh
2: yeah no for sure a lot of the production here is is wonderful and and Wu tang always was you know mm-hmm fascinating for, for, for the kind of unique, druggy sound of the music, more so than the chronicling of drug deals in the lyrics. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just like it's been done so many times. How interesting would it be if Ghostface was looking at something beside these streets, which he is now, you know, 15 years removed from. Yeah. I mean, just looking at anything in the world around him. This guy is such a talented rapper. I think you could throw him any subject. And and with his uh, novelistic eye, he'd be fascinating. It's just like you know, I would just love to hear this guy rap about almost anything else besides well, crack cocaine. I, I think he
0: did in the last couple of records, where where they were really abstract and they were really, uh, you know, uh, what is he rapping about? He's in, it's almost like he was in inventing a new language, and I think he was praised for that. But also, I think there was a sense of okay, he can't take this much farther. This isn't in, in some ways a, a, a reassertion of the early Wu-Tang sound. I think he brings a fresh eye to it. I also think that he's not exploiting it. The hooks on this record, I think, are immense. I, whatever you think of the, the lyrics themselves, I think there's great hooks in almost every piece of music on this record, and that's why I can't get enough of it. I, I just think that the combination of the production talent and the fact that Ghostface is such an accomplished lyricist I put it on a level of those early NWA records when Ice Cube and Dr. Dre were at the top of their games, mm-hmm. bringing out the best in each other, and I think these producers bring out the best in Ghostface, and I think it's one of the best albums of his career, and that and it does need to be said, one of the best records of the year so far.
2: All right. Well, it's a uh, buy-it record, clearly, from Mr. Cott. It's a burn-it record from me. We've got one more. We are doing uh, record reviews of Palooza, chronicling some of the biggest spring album releases this one is from a woman named Pink.
0: Stupid Girl from Alicia Moore, otherwise known as Pink. Fourth album, in the stores, it's called I'm Not Dead. Jim, what's the background on this? Man, I had such high hopes for Pink, uh, Greg. She is nothing less than the
2: pop genre's answer to Courtney Love. She is a riot girl in both senses. She's, She's stirring up and starting a riot, and she's riotously funny. I think on her first three albums, she was making unbelievably catchy... Dance pop music for kids, music for our daughters. We both have kids who are in the prime pink demographic, Mr. Cott. You and I, and I applaud her music because unlike Britney Spears, you know, who who uh, got a boob job allegedly, you know, as a young teen, and is all about the selling of sexuality and the peddling of of this kind of Lolita routine. Pink was telling kids stand up for who you are, use your talents voice your opinions, don't get pushed around by men, her sexuality has always been sort of ambiguous, I think that's a good role model to put out there, just, you know you can be freaky, you can be yourself uh, and not conform, not in that sense of uh, the image that's being put out there by your Britney Spearss your uh, Paris Hilton's, your Lindsay Lohan's, your Christina Aguilera's all of whom are skewered in the video for that song Stupid Girls which is the first single from I'm Not Dead her fourth album, it's a pretty brilliant video and, and a pretty brilliant song where she's ranking on defining yourself by where you shop. I think that's a great great start to this record Uh, it kicks it off and and it got my hopes up even higher beyond the fact that I am a Pink fan. She worked with the Swedish pop guru Max Martin who is uh, he was always the best thing that Britney Spears ever had going for him, uh, for her you know, was the sound of those records uh, the lyrical content was absolutely vapid. At the same time you know, she's been going in this direction where she's trying to to kind of morph into Janis Joplin and, and bring a lot more rock. So, uh, you know, there, were, there was certainly a lot of ambition for this record. Before I tell you how she broke my heart and let me down, let's play a song that I never thought I would say any of these words together when talking about a Pink record. The track is called Dear Mr. President. It is quite obviously a protest song taking on the Bush administration by Pink where she is pairing up with the Indigo Girls. <laughs> Let's listen to that and then we'll give our thoughts on I'm Not Dead by Pink on Sound Opinions.
3: Dear Mr. President, come take a walk with me. me. Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions if we can speak honestly What do you feel when you see all the homeless on the street Who do you pray for at night before you go to sleep What do you feel when you look in the mirror Are you How do you sleep while the rest of us cry? How do you dream when a mother has no chance to say goodbye?
0: Mr. President, that's Pink addressing George W. Bush, and telling us what she thinks of him, which is not too highly. You know, that sounds pretty dreadful. Yeah, I'm, the I'm, bit that we played there, the uh, Indigo's backing her up. I'm sorry, even Amy and Emily would never release
2: anything that sleepy and dreadful and leaden.
0: But the song takes a turn. You know, after all the clichés, how do you sleep when the rest of us cry? Oh, hum. She got me with this couplet. What kind of a father would take his own daughter's rights away, and what kind of a father might hate his own daughter if she were gay? And that was a bullseye if the rest of this song was as specific as those two lines I think she would have had a real winner on her hands and uh, I I do think that's the kind of writer and singer and performer she's capable of becoming you hit it the nail on the head Jim she's a great role model for uh, women to be you know, teenagers, kids figuring out their identities, especially young girls. And she's capable of of really sort of being a beacon in a sea of kind of vapidness out there. There are moments on this record where, again, I see that happening. But she takes herself much too seriously she, she, she uh, on she this has record.
2: Somehow turned into Michael Stipe. Eddie Vedder, or <laughs> Horror of Horrors, Bono. I disagree. As good as that line is, and even as lame as some of the rest of the lines are, if that track had been more motivating and more melodic, she could have had a winner. My problem isn't with her lyrical themes, when she's deriding the evils of materialism on I Got Money Now, or you know, even when she's examining herself at the age that her audience is in conversations with my 13-year-old self. The lyrics are fine. It's the music that's absolutely dreadful you're
3: laughing but you're hiding gotta know that trick too well you forget that i've been you and now i'm just the shell i promise i love you and everything will work
2: out fine. conversations with my 13 year old self is this kind of overblown, oh. ridiculously soggy operetta, again there's that word, mm-hmm. th- th- that sounds like another Pink, Pink Floyd, but after they were any good. Well, it's like their Falklands record. You know,
0: and, and there's and, the example of the bad Broadway. I mean, oh my god. Yeah, Greg Cot yeah, doesn't like all Broadway. Broadway. That's bad bad Broadway, and uh, she doesn't need to do that anymore. You
2: know, she has somehow shifted from punk to preacher, <laughs> and she has forgotten that key ingredient. Pink records were always fun. When you're preaching to me, if you can you know, deliver the musical goods, I'm going to listen but here you know she's she's just preaching and she doesn't have any reason for me to tune in and i'm going to tune out and i'm you know i'm 41 i can't imagine how quick i'd be to turn the dial at age 13 after that brilliant track stupid girls i think that's one of the singles of the year for sure and the whole rest of the album is just absolutely Awful, and 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 it breaks my heart because I was an unrepentant, was and am an unrepentant Pink fan. I think she'll come back from this, but this is a Trash It record for sure.
0: Yeah, I think there's some promising moments actually very late in the record. Uh, you Got Money Now, where she works with Mike Alizondo, the guy who uh, worked with uh, Fiona Apple on mm-hmm. her last record. Kind of a stripped-down guitar and beats groove that really works well, and I think would have fit quite a bit better on this record than these kind of re- recycled Joan Jett guitar sounds and the massive orchestrations, I think these were promising directions that should have been pursued further. Instead, she tried to make this kind of watered-down, guitar-based blues record, and it just sort of falls flat uh, combined with the the overly serious lyrics. Why go to Max Martin for that? She wanted to be everything to all people. If you
2: were going to go with Max Martin, then give us a whole record along the lines of Stupid Girl. If you're going to go in the rock direction, go make a record with Jack White. You know, because she could pull it off. She's yep. got the voice and there she's got go. the brains. But, you know, instead she went right down the middle of the road. And, uh, and so, what do you
0: say next the- time? Next time, go all the way. Scale? I agree. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's a trash it record, a couple of burn it tracks. But really, uh, you know, overall, you cannot recommend this. Next time, Pink, go all the way. If you're going to be brave and be a quote unquote artist, you know, work with a producer who's going to bring out the artist yeah. in you instead of this middle of the road production. Trash it record. Uh, all right. Once again, we have way too many records and way too little time to uh, do them justice. But uh, we got to some big ones, including the one that's playing underneath us, The Secret Machines. I think the record that you and I were both most mutually uh, uh, enthusiastic about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you want to get a recap of everything we just talked about
2: or, as always, learn more about these artists and and any damn fool thing we were spouting off the top of our heads about, you can go to the great footnotes on soundopinions.com and you can give us your
0: feedback as well. Next week, we've got Steve Wynn, one of the uh, founding fathers of what we call the Paisley Underground Movement in uh, California during the 80s. A revival of psychedelic rock music. Wynn and the Dream Syndicate, uh, phenomenal exponents of that. We're going to talk about that movement. We're also going to have Steve Wynn with his new band, The Miracle 3, live in the studio. Uh, A phenomenal performance that I think you guys will be thrilled to hear. That'll be on next week's show.
2: As always, we've got some people to thank on the way out. Tori Southside Malatia is our executive producer Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director Matt Spiegel's our producer associate producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn we get some legal help from Dino Armiros lots of technical assistance from Joe Dassault, and we'd like to thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next week